Thanks for listening to the Christ Covenant Sermon Podcast. For more information, visit ChristCovenant.com. Amen. Thanks, Graham. Hey, y'all. Welcome. I'm Blake Rogers. I'm one of the pastors here uh, at Christ Covenant and have the honor of preaching uh, for you, for our church family uh, here this evening. Um, it's a great honor to do this. This is kind of a special service for us, and so if you're a guest with us, uh, we typically would have a different kind of child care situation, uh, but just where this Sunday fell and the, the calendar of our church coming on the heels of probably the best VBS that's ever happened in the history of the world. Is that right, Jason? The best VBS that's ever happened in the history of the world happened this past weekend, or this past week, thanks to Matt and all of the many volunteers who served. We want to give our volunteers a little bit of a break. And so uh, with that, we have five, you know, ages five and up here in the service with us, and that's a beautiful thing. And so if you're a parent and you've got a child in here uh, that fits that age, listen, we're okay with rustling. We're okay with a little noise. Don't, don't worry. Don't hassle. It's quite all right. This is good, actually, we believe. And in fact, I mean, th- this is a matter of providence, right? It, it was almost just by happenstance that we decided, you know what, we need a family service to give our volunteers a break this past week. Volunteers need a break from kids sometimes. Um, but coincidentally, before that, because I had to choose this passage a long time ago to suit Graham's needs for having the rhythms book available for you guys, this was the passage that I chose. It was Ephesians 6, 1 through 4. And interestingly enough, you know, the first category of people addressed in that passage is whom? Children. And so this is just a providential explosion right here, okay? So this is, this is good, and this is going to be a great worship service uh, with you, and so I'm grateful to be here. So on November 19th of 2011, I was an anxious wreck, right? Uh, this was my wedding day. This was the day that I was going to marry the girl of my dreams, and I love weddings, and my wedding has been like my favorite wedding ever. It's my favorite wedding I've ever been to. It was awesome. I was nervous, and, you know, for those of you who are married, you, you likely understand that. You know, you do the deal, right? You, you make all the preparations, and uh, if you're the, the male entering into this, this wedding ceremony, you just affirm and say, yes, ma'am, kind of a thing, and you, 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 you try to provide as much you know, relaxation as possible. You kind of calm the waters leading up to the day. That's kind of your role. And then you get there to the day, and then you do the rehearsal, all right? And then you go and you do the rehearsal dinner. And then you, like, hang out with your friends after the rehearsal dinner. You hope that they don't make you do anything, like, way too embarrassing, okay? I'm glad there's not pictures from that night for me. You know, I kind of submitted myself to the will of my groomsmen, which was kind of a mistake. We didn't do anything like debauchery or anything like that, but it was fully, I'd be fully embarrassed for you to see what I looked like in extra small yoga pants walking around downtown Louisville. It wasn't a good experience, but that's, that's just what you do, right? You, you go through it all, you, you, you have a good time. But the reason I love weddings and the reason my wedding was my favorite is the moment when in great anticipation, the crowd is silent Everybody knows about what's about to happen. The groom is standing at the front of the sanctuary or wherever the wedding's being held, alone. And everybody knows the bride is about to enter the room. That's the moment that makes weddings amazing to me. And, you know, it doesn't matter, like, I was tearful in my wedding in that moment. I'm tearful at every wedding in that moment. I don't know if there are any other guys in the room who are willing to admit that with me, but that is such a special moment of great anticipation. There's so much symbolism symbolism 
in the moment where the bride, where the groom is standing at the front of the chapel and the bride enters the room. It is quite an amazing thing. Well, the bride processes up the aisle and she is moving towards her to-be husband and she's accompanied by someone usually in, in most cases and that is her father or her representative head. And then there's an important exchange that happens right after, the, right after they come up to the front of the room. The pastor or the person presiding over the wedding says, who gives this woman to be married to this man in holy matrimony? That's a moment that is full of symbolism. That's a moment for us to reflect on tonight as we think about the fact that the children in our home are only there temporarily. The children in our homes are only there temporarily. Ephesians 2, 24 says this, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. This passage is telling us that it's this moment in a wedding that reminds us that the parent and child relationship is unbelievably important. Fathers are so important, mothers are so important, but that it is also remarkably temporary. Because little boys in our homes are not meant to be little boys forever. And little girls aren't meant to be little girls forever. In God's design and his economy, little boys are to grow up to be men who wait for a bride to start a new family in a, in a beautiful chapel with a, their church family celebrating with them. Little girls are meant to walk down the aisle. This is an important thing for us to remember, that the children in our homes are only there for a time. Today we're looking at Ephesians uh, chapter 6 and verse, verses 1 through 4, which isn't a ton of verses, but there's a ton here, I'm telling you. There's a ton here. And I'm kind of dropping in this evening uh, in a space between sermon series. And so uh, we, we're going to, you know, we just finished um, scene 2 of, of Genesis, looking at the life of Abraham. We're going to do this before we launch into our next sermon series. And, and because I'm just dropping in kind of towards the end of one of Paul's epistles, it is important just to catch you up a little bit on the context of what's happening here okay context matters so much and and Paul he, he's making an argument this whole time and really if you were to look at the structure of Ephesians you can look at it you know a ton later I encourage you dive deeply uh, into this but if you were to look at the overarching structure of Ephesians it would be this gospel clarity gospel affirmation and then gospel living Okay, Paul wants the church at Ephesus, he's writing from a prison, he wants them to be clear on the gospel. He wants them to know that the Spirit is at work within them to confirm the gospel in their lives. And he wants them to know that by the Spirit, they can live as faithful image bearers to the one true and living God. And he goes on to apply this into a variety of different circumstances. And as he's making this argument, we get to Ephesians chapter 5, 15 through 21, and I'm going to read this for us, and you can flip there if you've got a Bible. Also, kids, listen, hey kids, you're in the audience tonight. This is awesome. We, Matt Nolan and his team has provided you with some listening tools, and you know what would make your parents so proud is if you filled it out. And if you pay attention. And so that's what we want uh, from you guys. So I'm going to read Ephesians chapter 5, 15 through 21. Follow along, if you will, as we move into our present passage. Verse 15 says this, Look carefully then how you walk, 
not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord in your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, in that little paragraph, we have eight instructions, and I'm going to blitz through them to catch you up right now. Firstly, we have walk wisely. Secondly, we have make the best use of the time, which means this, be disciplined in the things that ultimately matter. Be disciplined in the things that ultimately matter. We have a sinister capacity within us as human beings to devote ourselves to non-ultimate things. And so make use, make the best use of the time. Don't be a fool. Rather, this is the third, know the will of the Lord. Fourthly, do not be drunk with wine. Rather, be filled with the Spirit. And we'll kind of return there here in a little bit. That, that is going to matter a whole lot for our present passage. Fifthly, address one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Which, my goodness, it was so beautiful to hear. I love sitting in the front because you get the, you get the voices of everybody behind you. It makes worship all the better. You should be fighting for these front rows. It's, it really is awesome. That's what we do. Seventhly, give thanks to God in everything. Eighthly, or eighth, submitting... Um, to one another out of reverence for Christ. What Paul is saying here is that the gospel that is clear, the gospel that is affirmed by the Spirit, and the gospel that is lived out touches every area of our lives, every single area of our lives. And really, that is the paradigm of the Christian life. You don't come to God with your life corrected in terms of your behaviors and actions to offer him anything. No, God reveals himself to us he affirms his truth in us and he gives us the capacity to obey him and that obedience is it is expected everywhere because the gospel infiltrates every area of our lives including the home and so a famous wedding passage Ephesians chapter 5 uh, towards the end of chapter 5 Paul addresses husbands and wives so he's he's moving gospel into the home and then in our present passage addresses children and parents. And that's where we're going to spend our time. And we're really going to do that based with, with two different headings. Okay. And the first heading is this, God's wisdom for children. Okay. Children, you listening? You good, children? Y'all feel awkward when the pastor's up here like, come on, children. Y'all, y'all ready for this? There we go. Well, I like it. Great job, Jill. Even though you, uh, you, you know, I like that. So God's wisdom for children. And we're going to look at this through the what, the how, and the why. So what is God's wisdom for children? How are children to obey this? And then why does this even matter? So chapter 6, verse 1 through 3. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. So in verse 1, what does God expect of children that they obey and that they honor? Now this this word obedience that Paul uses here literally means to hear under, okay? That is to listen with attentiveness and to respond actively to what is heard. It's a Greek word that means that that carries that idea to to hear under. And isn't it a great joy, parents? When your children hear under you, it's a good thing. 
It, it brings you a lot of honor as a parent whenever you, you give instruction to your child and they willfully obey. It is a great joy uh, to do that. But obedience is only part of the equation. Honor is the other part of the equation. And this Greek word, tamao, means this, to highly value and to hold in highest, highest regard or respect. Children ought to obey their parents and also hold them in high regard. This means something for you parents. By God's design, there is intrinsic value in you being very present in the lives of your children. This is a very, very valuable thing that children need to see and that children need to recognize. This is of such high value that this tamao word is the same word used in 1 Timothy 1.17. As uh, Paul is writing, he says this, to the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor, tamao, and glory forever and ever. Amen. Children are to have that kind of honor towards their parent, this kind of viewing of their parent. No doubt, Paul is saying something major uh, for children here. He's giving them a high standard of how they ought to behave and also how they are to think about their parents. But what are they to do? They're to obey and they are to honor. How do they do this? How do children do this? Now, let's, let's be real honest with you. I'm a, I'm a, I've been a parent for like three and a half years. And so I'm not coming to you with Blake's wisdom and saying, all right, let me teach you a little something about parenting. Because yesterday, as I was like, you know, I studied for this sermon quite a bit over the last week and a half. And uh, I was really putting some words on paper yesterday afternoon for a few hours. And it was a lot of fun. And uh, my house was like in meltdown mode my kids like they were rebelling constantly and I was like I was about to pick up the phone and call Jason and be like hey man sorry dude uh, you know I was going to try to preach this passage but you probably have a better household at this moment so why don't you just kind of share with us this isn't my wisdom this is what the this is what the Lord has for us no matter where you are in your parenting so how are they to obey they're to obey in both action and in attitude and both of these things are equally important. You see, what Paul is not after in the life of a child is begrudging obedience. Begrudging obedience. This is not the end goal for parenting. And we all know what this means. Um, we, we all do things at times out of sheer duty, right? Like, for instance, let's just be real honest because we are real people in a very real room uh, under, the, under the Lord here. Like, we, we don't probably always desire to go to the Lord in personal devotion. Do you wake up in the morning and hop right up and just think, oh my gosh, I don't have anything else. I'm not thinking about anything else until I do my you know, 15 minute personal devotion time. Maybe that's you, you know, maybe that's you. I, I want that to be me every morning, but I know that likely that's not gonna be the case. My delight sometimes is gonna have to catch up to the discipline of doing what ought to be done. This is begrudging, though. We, and if you stay in that state, you, you really want your delight to catch up to your duty. You may not always feel like going to the gym or exercising or eating right. You know, one of the things that Jason and I like to do is we, we love to get either coffee or lunches with our members. Like, we love that. We, we know that you guys live very busy lives, 
And we want to be a part of it. We want to be there to encourage you. We want to be there to, 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 you know, to talk with you, just to see how the Lord, see what the Lord's doing in your life, etc. But one of the challenges of that is like, I want fried chicken. Like, I, I don't want to eat the salad. I begrudgingly choose to eat the salad because I know ultimately that is what's best for me, even though my heart is far from that truth. The way children are, should obey their parents is not so. Over time, children, ought, their honor ought to catch up with their obedience. Their delight ought to catch up with their duty in honoring their parents. Because if it does not, if your child is raised in a home where they are forced to begrudgingly obey, it won't be long before they're out of your home, they're off to college, and they're rebelling and rejecting what you've taught them. There needs to be both of these things for our children. And why is this? Well, I think there are really a few reasons why in this text, for, you know, for why children need to obey and honor. The first one is quite, quite clear in verse one. It says this, children, obey your parents in the Lord for what? This is right. It is right. It is just good. This, the word right here is dikaios, and it refers to something being correct or just or righteous. That which is as it ought to be. It's just right. This is what children should do. Children, you don't contribute to your existence. You know, I'm speaking to children. You, you don't contribute to your existence. Without your mother and your father, you would cease. <laughs> right or right? I mean, that's right. Without your, children, without your parents here to, you know, to, to bring you into this world, you didn't contribute to you being here at all your parents did that you you submit to the provision of your parents who love you and care for you but without them you wouldn't exist it, it is right for creation to honor and obey creator is my point here i think that is paul's point it's just right to do that secondly there's a promise attached now we just spent a whole sermon series through the Ten Commandments. So we're not going to spend a ton of time here, but the promise is real. And the promise is found in the Old Testament here. Um, it says this, verse 2, honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, speaking of the Ten Commandments here, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Children, listen, obeying your parents is a protection for your soul and it is a protection for your life. Obeying your parents protects you from many, many hardships that lie in your way obey rest under the protective provision of your parents i know you don't always understand it my mom's right back here and she and i have gone toe to toe many a time because i didn't think she knew what she was talking about right later to find out she was right all along children listen i promise you learn from a guy who's made this mistake honor submit to your parents there is great protective qualities to their instruction thirdly and this is probably you know most important here thirdly god deserves it you obey your parents and you honor your parents because god deserves it notice there's a phrase at the right in the middle of verse one it says children obey your parents in the lord that is to say that your obedience to your parents is your obedience to the Lord. You know what is required of children in the Bible from God? Is that they obey their parents. 
When you obey your parents, children, when you obey your parents, you are honoring the Lord. You're honoring the structure, the wisdom that he has placed in your life, the grace that he has placed in your life, and that is a marvelous, marvelous thing. Children obeying their parents is reflective of their obedience to the Lord, and again, this is right. Parents, let me turn to you really quickly. And, and I like, just to be real, like this is one of the things that I, you know, I like to leverage God's word for my comfort sometimes and my convenience. And so like, you know, I want my children to obey me because it makes my life a little better, right? I'm able to get more things done. I'm able to like have a happier home. Those are all benefits of children obeying but the primary reason children ought to obey, and this is why you need to prioritize obedience in the home, is because it honors God. It is right. It is good. This is how God has designed the world to function. This is how he's designed humanity to progress. It is right. And I, and, and I think this is true, too. Paul doesn't have our comfort in mind. Like I said, he has eternity in mind for your children. Obedience and honor are not just mere matters that are inconveniences. These are matters of eternity. God, in his design, has set you as parents to be the paradigm for authority in their lives. And, and, and what God is seeking to use you to do is to build an appreciation of submitting to his lordship, his invisible lordship, in a very visible way in the home. That's what God is seeking to do through your parenting. Paul also knows um, that this, this child aspect of obedience and uh, honor is not just uh, a flesh and blood thing, right? In Ephesians chapter 2, and this is some context that, that we skimmed over, but Ephesians chapter 2, verses 2 through 4, we read this. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. There's something greater here that is at stake in your homes. Later in Ephesians 6, in the same chapter, just a few verses later, he says this, as he's encouraging the Ephesians, once again, he says, put on the full armor of God, for what? We do not wrestle against what? Flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So you may be parenting and your child might be going toe-to-toe -to -toe with you, as ours often do. And what's happening there in that moment is not just a battle of flesh and blood. What Paul is saying is that there's something greater going on when child rebellion takes place. And I think the whole narrative of the Bible gives us an understanding of what that actually is. We think back to Genesis and chapter 3. What happens? God the creator creates creation. The crown jewel of creation is Adam and Eve. But all that they needed to do was rest in the garden and enjoy the overflowing blessings of God continually. He provided for them perfectly. He was a good father to them. He took care of them immensely. This is all they needed to do was to rest in the communion with in communion with God. And yet what happened? They desired self-rule. 
they were tricked by a serpent into pursuing an alternative narrative. They were tricked into pursuing this idea that they could rule and govern themselves. What was the temptation that they had? Was it just fruit? No, it wasn't just fruit. It was that they might be what? Like God. Self-rule. This is what's going on in the lives of, in the life of my three-year-old. I think my, I think Ella Watts, I don't know if her sin nature's come in yet, but I'm joking. That's true. No, that is false. But Canon, his, you know, he, he's a, he's a tester to us. But it's just not him and his little fleshly brain and his little fleshly body that's doing this. What Canon is seeking to do is to rule himself. And so when he comes against the authority of his mother or his father, or when your child comes up against the authority of you or your wife or your husband or whoever, what's happening there is he or she is buying into a narrative of self-rule that is immensely destructive. It is immensely destructive, and we've all been born into it. Paul gets this. Paul understands this. And to be sure, the disobedience of a child in the home is not all that different from our disobedience to our Father in heaven. We all know, uh, as children of God, those who are of the redeemed, that we're not fully redeemed yet. We live in a time where we've been released from the penalty of sin in Christ. He took that on. We're continually being released from the power of sin that is sanctification. But during this time, we struggle with sin. We struggle to, we buy into this idea of self-rule over and over again. We have the, the whispers of the serpent in the, in the back of our minds at all times and in all kinds of situations. This is who we are this is the narrative that we are in. This is the battle that we are in because it is not one of mere flesh and blood. And because it's not a battle of mere flesh and blood, that means something very, very important for us as parents. What we are seeking to see in the lives of our children is not natural change that happens because we disciplined at the right time, and they went to bed at the right time, and they ate the right meals, and they didn't eat the right snacks, and all of these kinds of things. That's not the goal of Paul here. The goal of Paul here is that something supernatural would happen in the lives of your children one day as they continually learn what it looks like to submit to your authority, to, to your authority as you submit to the authority of Christ in your life. That is the goal. And that is God's wisdom for children. Now, children, you're off the hook, okay? Kind of kidding. Um, but now Paul is going to address parents. And he's going to do so, and, and, and I've kind of entitled this point, God's wisdom for parents. So Ephesians 6, verse 4, reads this. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the, in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now we're going to talk about this point in uh, similar kinds of questions. We're going to look at who, we're going to look at what, we're going to look at how, and then we're going to look at why. Okay, so who, what, how, and why. God's wisdom for parents. Who is addressed here? Well, the, the text says fathers, right? The text says fathers, but we know and scholars tell us the, the Greek society was very patriarchal. Okay, and so the, the home would have been addressed through the lens of the father, okay? It's much like what you might receive to a formal, 
in, in, the, in the form of a formal invitation to a wedding or some kind of ceremony or something today. Uh, if, if we were to receive that at my home, it would likely be something to the effect of, dear Mr. and Mrs. Blake Rogers, okay? Who is captured there? Me? Both. My household is captured here. Yes, Paul is addressing the fathers, but he's also, by proxy, addressing the mothers. And so, mothers, tune in here. Tune in here to what, hot, to what God has uh, for us. So what is he asking parents to do? Well, there, there's, there's a negative thing that Paul is going to address, and then there's a positive thing that Paul is going to address in our parenting. The first is this, the negative do not provoke your children to anger. Interestingly, he says something very similar in Colossians 3 and verse 21. He says this, Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. So if you combine these together, don't provoke your children lest they become angry and discouraged. Uh, provoking your children to anger is a very, very dangerous, dangerous thing. What is this idea of provoking? Well, I think it's similar to provoking or kindling a fire, okay? When, you, when, you're, when you've got a fire, and, and we know how to build some awesome fires here at Christ Covenant, if you've been a spotted cow, if you haven't, come next time. We know how to build some fires, but what do you do when you build a fire? You, you, you put the fuel down, the, the, the logs, and then you, you try to get some kindling, and you, you, know, you light it, and it kind of brings forth a little bit of flame, and then you know, you have to kind of move the logs around and poke it a little bit in order to get the right, like, oxygen flow through uh, the fire so that it finally, like, combusts all the wood and the fuel, and then you have something nice there. This is kind of the idea that Paul has in mind, this provoking. Don't bribe your children to anger. It's also the kind of idea that oftentimes, very, you know, gets me in trouble in the home, right? Yes, this gets me in trouble in the home. This is kind of a positive, you know, way that this works out. Oftentimes, you know, when my, my wife has worked so hard all day to protect, to care for the children, I come home, and, you know, I haven't, I haven't seen them. And, uh, you know, oftentimes I'm getting home after sitting in traffic for a little while, we'll just say, you know, 6.30, 6 or 6.30. And, you know, bedtime's at 8. And so what will happen? That's like, give me like an hour and a half with them. And so what we'll do, we'll, we'll bathe them if that's what they need for the day. We'll brush their teeth always. Uh, but then, like, we read a Bible story or something like that. We, have, we Let's be real honest. We attempt to read a Bible story or something like that. And, and that's, a, that's a good thing. It's a good rhythm to have. Um, but, but I get in trouble because I, like, want to wrestle. And I want to tickle them. And I want to, like, get them stirred up a little bit. I want to provoke them to enjoyment. That's a kind of a positive idea behind what we have going on here in a negative way. Paul says, don't provoke them, and he's using this as a negative sense, like an exasperating kind of sense, and irritating them toward bitterness and anger. We should not do that as parents. However, we do that as parents. We do this as parents. And I want to talk a little bit about how do we do this as parents. And Jason and I, we had a really great conversation about, you know, some of these things. I don't want to blitz through these, but, but you know, really evaluate kind of where you are in your life of parenting as we work through these. The first way that we may provoke our children to anger is by parenting for the approval of other parents. Parenting for the approval of other parents. You know what I like for people to think? That guy, he's got it all together. 
You know what's not true? That guy, he's got it all together. But a lot of times I want my kids to like, come on, man, get it together. I want these people to think that I got it all together. So jump in line here. That, that, that is a way that we may exasperate our children because we, we are, we're seeking to, to change their behavior and modify their behavior in a way that's not God-centered, that's us-centered. And that is endless because if we don't come to the end of ourselves, we'll seek to do anything to make people value us or think that we have it together. So don't parent for the approval of other parents. We live in an area, in, in us, in, we live in Atlanta, right? There's a lot of pressures to do well, to achieve, to do right. We want our children on those trajectories, not always for the right reasons. Be careful of parenting for the approval of others. Secondly, being aloof or disengaged in the home. Far too often, we as parents are on our phones or in the office at home or doing some other thing instead of paying attention to the little souls that God has entrusted to us to lead. Guilty as charged. Guilty as charged. Let us not do that. Let us not be parents who only engage in the lives of our children when there's a problem. Because that'll teach your children something about your parenting. Oh, mom and dad shows up when something's wrong. So, and, they, and then what happens? They get on to you. And then what happens? I don't want mom and dad around because when they show up, I'm only ever getting in trouble. Don't do that. Be engaged in the lives of your parents. Put your phone down. Put your, you know, put your work aside and focus on things that are ultimate and eternal. That your kids may grow up in a home that loves submission. Thirdly, having overbearing or wrong expectations. We want all of our children to be successful, right? We want all of our children to flourish. But my challenge to you as parents is to make sure that you've got the right definition for flourishing and success. The world has a definition for what success means and looks like. People of the book, Christians who submit themselves to the Lordship of Christ, buy into a different narrative. Be careful lest you develop expectations that are unbiblical and wrong and force them on your children having overbearing or wrong expectations fourthly overprotection from pain or difficulty i think this is another way that i even find myself sometimes seeking uh you know exacerbating my children bringing you know provoking them to anger now listen parenting one of your functions as a parent is to protect your children from the work of satan okay we want to protect our children from the work of Satan. That is right, appropriate, and good. You need to do that. Uh, you, you need to be a fence around the life of your child from some of these things. What that does not mean, however, is that you should always isolate and put your kid in a little bubble that protects them from pain and difficulty and other hardships that come from the consequences of sin. If you do that, you're teaching them a narrative of life that is absolutely false. And whenever they leave your headship under your roof, whether they walk an aisle, whether they leave the college, what will happen is they'll reject it. And so, and, and they'll be hit hard. They'll, they'll, they'll be dominated by life and the difficulties therein. Some key questions. You know, David Prince, he's an author that I read. He writes for the ERLC. Uh, one of the things that he asks in an article that he wrote, he says this, if you were to tally the number of times that you've told your child to be careful 
and mark that against the number of times you've told your child to be brave and courageous, what would that look like? The Bible does not teach an ethic of comfort, security, and convenience, does it? That's the American mindset. But the Bible does not teach an ethic of comfort, security, and convenience. The, the Bible teaches an ethic of bravery, of courage, rooted in the hope of God. Does your child have anything in his or her life that is hard? Does your child have anything in their lives that are hard? I, I, don't want my chi- my, I do not want my children to suffer hardship. But you know what I'll do when they, when they go through it? I'll be there with them and I'll point them to the Lord. You will miss opportunities to point your children to trusting in Christ if you protect them and put them in a bubble and isolate them from all of sin and its consequences. Fifthly, prideful parenting. We will undoubtedly provoke our children to anger and discouragement if we raise them in pride and instead of humility. And the chief way that pride shows up in parenting towards your children is this. You never ask for their forgiveness. You never ask for their forgiveness. Now, if you think you're a parent who just got it right all the time, you're wrong, all right? You're wrong. That's a very prideful thing. Our children ought to see us as repentant people. Our platform as parents, our platform as Christians is not our own self-righteousness. Our platform as Christians is the righteousness of Christ. And if you're going to teach your child something true of the world, you need to be a person of repentance and faith and let them see it. Whether that's you and your spouse get too heated and they're there to as bystanders, you need to go to your son, you need to go to your daughter and say, hey, listen, I got carried away here. I, Dad was sinfully angry. I was wrong. Son, I disciplined you in a, in a harsh way. I provoked you to anger. I need to be willing as a dad, as a mom, to go to your child, to your children, and to show them what it means to be a repentant person. Do your children ever see you repent of sin? That's kind of the negative thing. On, on the positive side of thing that Paul talks about here and pushes us towards is this. To bring them up in what? The discipline and instruction of the Lord. Not to beat them down, but to raise them up. Parents should raise up their kids, not provoking with impatience or injustice, but instead shepherd with nurture and tenderness through discipline and instruction. Two words, discipline and instruction. Discipline has to do with kind of the hard things of parenting, right? Sometimes you need to correct your children. Excuse me, a lot of times you need to correct your children if you are like me. And sometimes that's with a look, right? Sometimes you, you know, sometimes that's with more harsh, you know, discipline measures. Sometimes that's with timeout, sometimes that with spanking, but no doubt that is required. There's a lot of Bible that backs up that idea that you need to raise your children in a disciplined kind of way and that they should feel the consequences of rebellion. They should feel that. Positively, though, instruction, that we need to be people who teach our children. This is so good that they're here. Man, these, are these kids doing awesome or what? They, they're doing awesome. Uh, we, listen, we had a child, ser- you know, a family service uh, a couple Christmases ago, and it wasn't like this. So great job, kids. You're, you're, you're doing a great job. But we need to be people who instruct them who don't see our children as a hindrance. Look, 
Paul is addressing who here? Children first. The word of God is for kids. The word of God is for parents. We need to be willing to sit down with them in moments of life and explain why hard things happen and not lose those opportunities. We need to take opportunities where there's a beautiful sunset and sit there and say, son, daughter, look, you see this beautiful thing? This is what God, this is God's glory here. God created all this. It is beautiful. It reflects who he is. We need to be people who instruct them according to the word. Now, shameless plug, we do have a family worship field guide that gives you five steps to like accomplishing this. Like it, and that might be a foreign thing to you. That's okay. Totally fine. If you're like, oh man, like this is, this is interesting. This is good. I'm hearing what God is saying through Paul, preached by Blake. I get it. What's my next step? Pick this up. Talk to a pastor. Shoot us an email. We'd love to walk you through kind of some, some mistakes that we've made along the way and some ways that you can, you know, move forward in, in raising up your children in the way that they should go as God has instructed. But finally, we have a why. Why is it so important for Paul that mothers and fathers not provoke their children to anger. Well, Douglas Moo, he's a, he's a commentator. He says this, Paul doesn't want the children of Christian families to be disciplined to such an extent that they lose heart. You don't want to crush them. The Colossians 3.21 idea. You don't want them to give up on trying to please their parents. But secondly, and, and maybe even most importantly, it is because the authority that you are given as a parent is not an authority that you derived. This is a received authority. This is a given authority. Paul Tripp in his book on parenting talks a lot about this. He calls it the authority of an ambassador. You have authority over your children in the home because God has given you authority over children in your home. You know, parents, just because you performed a biological function that produced an offspring doesn't mean jack to Paul. What he is saying here is that God has given you this authority And we see this all throughout the narrative of scripture. And why do we know that? Because God is the giver of life. Every child is a miracle. Every life is a miracle. God sustains life. He protects life. He's sovereign over it. And so God gives us an authority. He leans leans us in authority. And the authority that we carry is not that which we created. It is we, we parent because we parent on the authority of the king. Note, you know, the U.S. has ambassadors everywhere in the world, right? And, and they're there not as kings themselves. No, they, they speak on behalf of the nation under the authority of our president. We as believers, we as members of Christ's covenant, we want to be people who speak on behalf and lead on behalf of the authority that we have been given by our God. Now, there's an interesting thing here about that. You will never exercise the kind of authority that God has given you if you're not walking in the spirit. To be in tune with God is of utmost importance. If we had an ambassador for the U.S. in in another country and he had his own agenda, things would go haywire fast. No, he has to be in tune in line with the agenda of the president. So too must we. Ephesians 5.18, we mentioned it earlier, but it says, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but what? Be filled with the Spirit. Our only hope to parent well is that we would, that we would parent as Spirit-filled parents. 
it's interesting. Think about this verse with me just for a moment. You know, wine um, is a substance that does what? It alters the mind. It forces you into a situation where you, when you drink too much of it, where you don't think clearly. You create alternate, alternative narratives for yourself. You do things that you normally wouldn't do in all of those kinds of things. But I don't think wine is really our only threat here, right? Wine can be a threat, but, but so is other narratives that, that we pursue. If we pursue, or if we think that, and we fill our spirit with the things of the world, success, achievement, sports, education, all of these kinds of things, you will not have the capacity to parent according to the spirit-led will of the Father. You must fill yourself with the spirit in order to parent well. Now today, just to illustrate this, today there's a great day. My parents, my in-laws were in town. They, they kept the kids, so Abby and I slept in a little bit. I had about two hours of sermon work to do to finish this thing up. I went to a coffee shop. I drank a bunch of coffee. And I was like, you know what? I'm feeling good. 1230, I'm done. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go run later. Because for me, I don't know why running is awesome. I didn't think about the whole picture, really. It's very hot outside, right? It's like 95 degrees earlier when I was running. Well, I went home from coffee, from, from drinking a bunch of coffee, putting a lot of like caffeine in my body, not drinking an ounce of water, mind you. I went home. I was like, man, I got to get a lunch in. What am I going to do? I'm going to open the fridge, and I'm going to get you what's convenient. What was there? Hot dogs. Grilled a week ago. Preservatives. Still good to go. All right? So I'm like, we're, we're going to do this. I'm going to eat two hot dogs. Oh, man. You know what goes well with a hot dog? With two hot dogs, barbecue chips, and a Diet Coke. And you know what? I had a great lunch. But you know what my goal was? It was to run. But I didn't fill myself up with the things that would make me a really great runner today. But I went and I ran. And it was extraordinarily hot. And I extraordinarily felt it, okay? Because a few miles in, I, I was walking. I was no longer a runner. I thought I was going to be a runner, but I wasn't. I was walking. <laughs> this, is, this is how it is with parenting. You might want to parent according to ultimate things, but if you don't fill yourself up with ultimate things, forget about it. Forget about it. We want you to be a part of something awesome here at Christ Covenant. We want to be a church family that points one another continuously and always to truth, to ultimate things in God. Through, through corporate worship, we want you to be prepared and personally worship. We want you to have family worship. We want you to be engaged in community groups. We want all of these things. We have a system, a family system that points us continually to ultimate things. And we want you, if you're struggling in this, to, to, we invite you into these things. Let's not be sport-filled. Let's not be achievement-filled. Let's be spirit-filled people. Just to close things up here. You know, Paul, he is not actually, uh, whether you, you know, recognize this, he's not a certified child psychologist here. No, Paul's in a prison. And, uh, you know, he's writing to a church. He's clarifying the gospel. He's affirming the gospel. And he's telling them how they ought to live. And he says something very important in verse 1 of chapter 5. As he's transitioned from gospel affirmation to how you ought to live, he says this, therefore, be imitators of God. You know, Paul's not a child psychologist. He didn't have children. He wasn't married. However, Paul knew something about parenting because he knew a heavenly father who loved him well. Paul probably reflected on the fact that 
he had fallen many times. He had been one who pursued self-rule just like you and I have. He, he was one who persecuted the church, who failed. And what happened? God miraculously pursued him and loved him and gave grace upon grace to him over and over again. And so Paul uses this paradigm of what it means to be an imitator of God and encourages the church to do the same. If you want your children to be released from the false narrative of self-rule, you, like Paul, must be one who has self-rule broken in your own life. Colossians 5, 14 through 15 says this, For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live who? For themselves but for him who for their sake was died and raised. You and I, if you're a believer in here, we are all recovering addicts to self-rule. And Christ, by his, by his blood, by his will, has made himself known to us. Paul knows this. This is why he can encourage parents. This is why he can encourage children. And I got to ask, is this the kind of picture that your parents get or that your children get from your parenting? Our children no doubt need a clear picture of God through our parenting. And parents, we need to be a clear picture of God in our parenting. It's a great encouragement to us as we reflect on the one who gave all, the one who patiently has pursued us. And, when, and may we make the most of our time with our parents. Now, there might be some people in here, and we're finishing up here, there might be some people in here who need to repent of this. Repentance has no statute of limitations, right? Repentance has no statute of limitations. Some of you are sitting here and you're like, oh boy, man, I had kids in my house 30 years ago, 20 years ago, 10 years ago, right now for a few years, but I've really blown it. You know what you ought to do? You ought to go to your spouse and you ought to say, you know what? We bought into non-ultimate things. You know, you know what? Let's bring our children in and let's let them know, like, hey, I don't care how old you are. I don't care. Like, repentance has no statute of limitations. Repent so that your children might know what is ultimate and what is good, that they may know the goodness of their father. The children that are in our homes, they won't be here forever. They were simply meant for something much greater. Let's pray. God, we do thank you for your word to us. We thank you for this time of worship, the opportunity to gather together as church family to, to recognize our dependency on you, your provision for us. And God, we pray that even now, as we sing songs that bring you honor and glory, that we would do so from a heart of thanksgiving, that you are a God who gave all, and that you're a God who expects glory from those whom you place under our stewardship. We ask for all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Christ Covenant Sermon Podcast. If you have any prayer needs, questions, or comments about the sermon, we would love to hear from you. So please text us at 678-951-9041. Or feel free to email Jason at jason at christcovenant.com.